Spider-Man, when I catch you, Spider-Man, I'm going to kill you, Spider-Man. Especially when you think about all the pain I've been through, Spider-Man. He said Spider-Man's name so much, it fucking bothered me. So, hello. Right? Hello. Yes. That's the way you start off. Welcome to Movie Schmovie. <clears throat> I, I don't think I've ever introduced us. Have I? Really? I think you used I, to. I, I feel like, like back in the go. day. Back in yeah. the day. Back, 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 back. Back, back. Way back. back. Uh, welcome to Movie Schmovie. I'm Ronald. I'm John. I'm Steve. So, what, what number is this, Ronald? This, oh, that's why you don't introduce us. <laughs> this is so. If Steve were to be a superhero and I were to yeah. be a villain, he knows my Achilles' That's numbers and just remembering information in general. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, guys, we're recording tomorrow. That's right. Oh, oh yeah. How many episodes are we doing? Fifteen. Yeah. You can tell me all nighter, all nighter, guys. We do confuse the heck out of Ronald by. Carefully planning and stating well in advance <laughs> what and we're going to do. Being as clear and concise yeah. as possible and also reminding him multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> See to my pants, man. That's but you know what Ronald does, that's Steve, you, is he, come, he, he hops on Facebook, sees all those messages and goes, ah, fuck this noise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want you to summarize the messages every time. Send like I, a Daily Digest or something. <laughs> you need to design we'll a... We'll make an email newsletter just for our Facebook conversations and you'll get a Daily Digest of it, okay? That, that works. You need to design a bot that does that for you, that like boils it down to like what happens. So Summarize, please. But this is episode 133 of the podcast, mm. Ronald. Okay, thank you. I know, isn't that crazy? It is, man. We're we're well on our way. To <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> There's no stopping us now, as long as we keep numbering the things we put out. That's so like, weird that people just say things like that. I, I, a, you say it every episode. I like, You're like, 131? Man, we're, we're on our way. Because I always we're going places, people fellas. say things like we're, that. We're closer mean. to 137, say, than we've ever been before. We're well on our way to more podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so insightful. Yeah. Yeah, so 133. When you mm-hmm. get to that number, that's proof that you have kept putting them out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You have not seized, seized the day, right? Yeah. Well, you have seized the day, but you have not yeah. ceased. Ceased to. Oh. oh. That was a chime. What was that? That was technology. That's called my phone not being on silent. Okay. Damn it. Zorix. So well, 133. What's going on with 133, John? Well, this is our uh, Maryland Film Festival recap episode, where mm-hmm. we all went to the Maryland Film Festival and soaked in cinema for several days on end, and we all saw lots of movies, right, Steve? Or at least one. Right, yeah. Steve, though? We all did that? We all went we to all the Film did Festival that. and saw lots of films? We, don't, we did that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the minimum requirement was one. Right. So in that case, yes, we all did that. <laughs> okay. And the maximum was 18, I think. Yeah, we actually had quite a range. Normally, we've all gone, and I think in past years, we've even gotten, like, we've finagled some free passes, and this year, we didn't even really try to do that. Um, But we've gone to see, like, three or four movies, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe five. I don't know what what the most you've seen is. But this year, was was, we have quite a range. We have Steve, who made it out to one screening at the beginning of the festival. We have myself... Uh, going to seven movies over the course of a weekend, which was a lot, I thought, mm-hmm. until I heard Ronald, who went, went to... Went to 18 screenings. 18 screenings. I got an all-access pass, and I watch as many... Oh, okay, so let me let me tell you this. Um, this Please. changed my perception of passes and, and things like that. Yeah. Like, every 
amusement park that I'm going to, I'm getting that pass, the pass to go to the front of the line. Oh man, I know. I'm never doing. I'm never getting on the line ever again. This is the first experience I've ever had where I you just you learned what life could be. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? For for like fifty more dollars, right? Isn't like fifty? How much more is it? For, like, something like that. Were the lines bad? Because I went. They were pretty shitty for like the bigger, okay. for like the later screenings. Like it was jam packed, and I just showed my pass and went around the line. Like, so. Okay, while we're talking about passes, you go to Disney World pretty often. Yeah. And, and you, you go to Universal sometimes? Yeah, all you the time. buy the extra? You know, honestly, because we go so much and we go on off seasons, like oh, okay. we don't usually it's not need even them. Worth it. But when we go, I will say, when we go to the horror, the Halloween horror nights at Universal, mm-hmm. like the big like haunted house thing they do, yeah. always buy the pass. Okay. Because it's busy. It's like, but it's like, it's like $80 more. It's like, sounds like a lot. Yeah. But, but it's, like, literally, it's, it's what you just said. Yeah. There's like, the lines are like two and a half hours long. Wow. And you just, you walk in in like 15 minutes. Really? It's amazing. Yeah. Holy shit. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. And, I, yeah. and I've seen lines at the festival where you, you're waiting online, like just for the doors to open. And mm-hmm. even when the doors are opening, their system of checking people in sometimes takes forever. Like literally taking a ticket, looking at it, ripping the ticket. Yeah. But I've seen people just blow by with that pass. It's like, oh, cool. Have, enjoy the movie. Yeah. It's pretty nice. And then that's a good investment. If you yeah, if man. you use it like you did, it's a great investment. Yeah. I, 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 in See, advance. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, because I think I like that you're endorsing supporting the festival mm-hmm. with all that money. However, <laughs> I, I just bought tickets to individual screenings and I walked up to a couple of them like a few minutes after their scheduled time and just walked right in and got a great seat yeah, yeah. <laughs> without waiting in line. So I think maybe it depends on the screening. Yeah, but, I, but I will say the reason I brought that up even um, was that I felt like this year the film festival felt like, there, I don't remember going to that many screenings that felt like they were really packed. It didn't really get busy until Saturday and Sunday, honestly. Friday night, Saturday, and then Sunday. And then it was like later on in those, like Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. All the other ones were very... The well, evening... Deep Web was was, was oh. reasonably crowded. Yeah, it was reasonably crowded. Um, and then a Call Me Lucky. Did you go see that? The Bobcat Goldthwait? No, I really wanted to see it. My sister saw it. On uh, Saturday. And it was, it was in a big room, mm-hmm. but it was reasonably crowded. But it wasn't packed like Willow Creek was a couple of years ago at the Charles. Right. That was packed. Um, I'm right. That was at the Charles. Yes, it was. was number one. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I I was just wondering. I've been asking a few people that went whether they felt it was a little underattended. I mean, if you know, not to not to knock it. I think right. the festival. It's but by all accounts, the filmmakers that are coming are having a great time. The the profile of the thing seems to be on the up and up. Um, I just wonder if you know. I've heard attendance is up, but I didn't quite see. It. And I wonder if it's just less pronounced when you're not in one central area. Yeah. Uh, for people I that are listening, until a couple of years ago, the film festival was centered around our art house theater here in Baltimore. Yeah. So the, the six rooms in this theater would be given over to the festival. And this is the second year running that the festival's been kind of spread all around town. Yeah. And, you know, it does reduce that effect of being in a centralized location. I, I think it's neat. It forces you to get downtown and walk around a little bit. And this time I did a lot more of that, mm. walking from one area to another and catching up with people. And, and I think the people coming into town appreciate that. But I just wondered what your sense was of that. Did you did you feel like it was it was as crowded as it was last year? It, there, were, there were extremes. Like, it, it felt... When it was empty, it was like four people there, which felt very. So I was kind, weird. Yeah, I was a little sad. You know, yeah. like there would be like we watch a short. So I went to like the documentary shorts, and like ten people in the theater, mm. and then they asked a couple questions, and that was it. And then we just kind of left, which felt a little dry. And then I would go to other ones, like um, I went to one that the wind up space one seemed to be the most crowded, and those were packed. See, I didn't go shorts. to any there. I guess I, I didn't see that um, many shorts, though. So. Very fun to be in, very fun environment. The chairs were so painful. 
but yeah, I had a I had this feeling that like there were these varying degrees of busyness. Like uh, like I said, there, during the day, especially the early parts of the early part of the week, it was very dead. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday were the ones that I went to, and they were packed. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that just has to do with like convenience for people people being able to go to those screenings. Yeah. But I, honestly, I mean, they they said that they're doing pretty record numbers in mm-hmm. comparison to before, but I wouldn't have known. Yeah. But that's also because it was spread out, like I said, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't wait until it's a little more centralized, like it was a couple of years ago. Is that is that going to be happening with the? I new... heard that it's next year. So oh, really? That's what I was being told, Steve. You know anything about? I was no, told I know that the it was Parkway thing is for next year. I mean, I know that's going to probably be the hub of what they're doing. But yeah. I'm not sure about it being all in one place. Or well, at least closer. Um, well, I don't mean to get off on a on a on a negative note because yeah. I don't think it's really a bad thing. And this year, I actually was more used to it. And like I said, I saw the value in oh, if the filmmaker comes in from out of town and they're going from one art museum to another, or they're crossing this downtown area, it helps to, I don't know, just create more of an understanding of what's going on in the city. And you know, Baltimore is kind of an interesting city, especially for people coming in for this festival. Yeah, coming into areas where. You know, uh, just a week before, we had <laughs> National Guardsmen and stuff like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. walking around. So I, it was kind of an interesting, it was an, it was pretty nice weather. I thought it was a nice weekend for the city. I actually felt glad that I got out and, and saw as Me many too. things as I did. The weather was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It got a little humid, and there was a couple times where, <laughs> where, where, where Big in here was having to run from like a, a poorly chosen parking spot to a screening, and then going to the wrong building, and then having to run to another <laughs> building. I, at that point, I felt, uh, I was like, okay, I need, I need it to train for this yeah. festival just a little bit. But, I, you know, I, I, again, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing parts of the city that even I don't go to that often. Like, I don't go to museums as often as I should. Sure. Yeah. I don't go downtown for culture as often as I should so well we were talking about right before we started recording doing this in kind of a just to give it some structure doing this in kind of a a a list format so we would talk about like our our top experiences from the festival um and I know Steve only saw one movie so I don't know if you if you would like to let us save uh your your one film sure I know you guys both saw saw it it oh yeah Yeah, we we can save that for a little bit but I but Steve what we might do is when we come around to you you could maybe just give like a a a valid excuse for what you were doing instead of going to the festival that sounds great what you were getting from that. I would love that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, I don't know what movie. I, I think we both saw this same movie, the, one of which that I would mention as one of my festival highlights, but we haven't really talked what about it. What was that? Uh, what? Did you see Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution? Yes, yes. W- would you like to talk about that one? Sure. Yeah. I thought that was a really a good example of a documentary that does not do anything particularly interesting with the form, but is so informative. For yeah. me, it was such yeah, a great yeah, cross section of information and had such great interviews with people. People that you realized as the movie went along their significance because you started seeing who some of these people that you were watching their talking heads of yeah. them now, you started to see where they would come up in the past footage. But just as a general overview, it's a it's a historical documentary. I mean, it's one of those oral history style documentaries where you just have people from the movement and people who were involved in the Black Panther Party uh, when it, from its inception. And... Um, by which I mean the, there was a team of people creating dreams in people's minds about it. No. Uh, the, the the beginnings of it in the 60s and how there was like a split between the different factions. I mean, things that I, I guess really I had always known or heard a little bit about yeah. that history, but I don't know that I've seen that history of the movement laid out. You know, all the stuff with Bobby Seale and uh, Huey Newton and yeah. what's his name, Fred Hampton 
and uh, Eldritch I never, Cleaver. I never These were names I knew my whole life, but I finally understood how they all fit together. And yeah. I understood that why that image that had always seemed so, whenever you see pictures of them, they, the militant, you know, there's always there in the dark garb and they've got the guns, mm-hmm. that when they first popped up on the scene, just the <laughs> image, if you've got like a town hall meeting and there's a bunch of black guys showing up with guns, <laughs> at, at that time that was an even more powerful visual image than it is to us now. And it's still oh, yeah. a powerful visual image. Absolutely. But the notion that we're not to be pushed around, you know, was was... I mean, I would have mixed feelings about anybody walking around in public spaces with guns now. But in yeah. that context, there was something kind of... You, again, I saw the point of it. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I'd never seen uh, any documentary about that time that had so much footage. I'd never seen anything dealing with the Black Panther Party or any of that time that had so much footage. This footage was clear and crisp and the audio was great and it really did paint a picture of if you didn't know anything about the movement which i didn't know a whole bunch about aside from things that parents had told me in a couple of documentaries i'd seen that really put this together in, in a context that i feel like anybody could really understand and it was and that was true archival footage yeah it yes. wasn't like that current thing where no. they like recreate it, and that's the what was so strange none, none of it was like made up it was all archival all of, I I have no idea how they got that much footage. It wow. was so much. It was kind of like I did not know that they documented that much of that time, but they did right. apparently. Wow. There were scenes where like um, the scene where they they got them out of the car and were searching for the weapons, and they were like having this dispute. Yeah, that there was a there was a dispute that the cops had with the Black Panthers mm-hmm. that that I would not have guessed that they would they could have recorded just because it was such a tense moment mm-hmm. but it was it was really nice uh, i mean i think that everybody especially in these times kind of need to see hey they need context like and i think sure. that that's that's it's really timely that that movie oh my gosh in baltimore watching yeah. a movie that's all about like arming yourself to as a sign of protest against a police force that mm-hmm. is victimizing you like there's guys coming in, knocking you on the head with with billy yeah. clubs and busting you up and stuff, and the and and you you fight back by showing that you will fight back. Yeah, and that's insane. I mean, that was insane. Again, that was powerful, insanely powerful for when it was. But yes, to think that that wouldn't resonate. And I will say, you know, not that I'm profiling folks, but I did scan around the crowd, and the crowd I saw it with was uh, they added a second screening of that film. Oh wow! Uh, at the last minute, on like the morning I went down to get my tickets, and I just decided, oh, all right, I'm gonna get down there and see this, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad I did. But it was a it was a predominantly white crowd at oh, this wow. film, um, and I was thinking, I don't know why I always notice things like that, but I think about like, okay, what's the, what are the, you know, it made every time people would titter at something or every time people would go, oh, a little, it made it a little bit different. Knowing, <laughs> yeah, looking yeah. around and realizing this is a bunch of, of, of like middle-aged white folks that bought tickets to this festival. I don't I mean, I, that's probably a silly thing to even right, point right. out. But, um, but it was, it, you, it really got, I mean, I'm a, I say that like I'm not a white person. <laughs> All these white people at this film. <laughs> but but it, I, I will, I mean, I will say maybe in that sense, it made me realize how little that history is taught. That yeah, I didn't grow up with that history. I mean, I think when I was a kid, it seemed like by the time you got to the end of history, like they really focused on like everything up through World War II. Yeah. They went through with a lot of detail. And then after that, it was like, well, you're on your own. And maybe some college course, you would pick that up. Right. But it, for me, it was it was huge to see that history laid out. And and to uh, the, I sh- we should mention the director, Stanley Nelson. Was he at the screening that you attended? By he was chance? at the Sunday. That's the one I went to. So the, the, the crowd I went, the crowd on the Sunday one was predominantly black 
and all very interactive with the with the the scenes. It was it was so it's very like almost like call and response a little bit. Like like something would happen. And Did go, we attend segregated screenings of this <laughs> film? I think we may have. <laughs> <laughs> also, didn't know how much white people once the, once it started once yeah. the once it picked up how much everybody kind of participated in the black panther movement which was really interesting to me well i mean that was kind of like that part of course we just recently saw the great selma last year which was mm-hmm. another film that made you think a lot about activism and mm-hmm. really again changed my attitudes about activism and protest so that the recent riots we had in Baltimore I was seeing them differently than I might have before I saw Selma I mean mm. that may sound shallow but <laughs> but like sometimes a piece of entertainment like that can change the way Absolutely. you see the world and I was watching sure. that with much more of a okay let's not look at the actions and let's not get bogged down into the actions let's look at the the reasons why these people are are acting out against this force and let's look at what this symbolizes you know and I think this yeah. movie kind of tied the bow on that a little bit because they make a huge point out of the moment when it spreads through when the word spreads that uh, MLK was murdered yeah. it kind of um, or assassinated I should say um, it sort of seemed at least to a lot of these more militant folks to suggest that the peaceful way was never going to work Yeah, that like yeah. The, you know, a dove of peace came and and the system killed him. And so yeah. now we have no choice. But it was really interesting to see that because it is a very dark turn. And there's a lot of what choice do we have? Like when you would hear those guys that were there in these shootouts and stuff yeah. talking. How are they? How are they alive? Is a question. But I mean, talking and they. But I mean, they seem like the they seem like the 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 guy's uncle down the block or something. You know, they yeah. just seem like you know what I mean. They seem like some guy from the neighborhood, which is just like. Yeah, they've got these stories, but they were they were there. I mean, I don't know if they've been in prison and out, but that guy was involved in a shootout with the police, and he was sitting there telling the telling the story, and yeah. seemingly, you know, it didn't look like he was with in, pride. Was, yeah. There was no fear. It was so interesting. Yeah, but like the fact that the system was so stacked against them, and that whole thing about speaking of Fred Hampton, one of the the leaders of the Black Panthers that got killed in that awful shootout where you were seeing the blood on his bed and it's you know all that awful stuff mm. and they made it sound like there was more fire coming from the inside than there really was and they, oh, the yeah, police yeah. lied about who or it seems that the police lied that seems very 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 much like the police <laughs> lied about who shot first and this yeah. kind of stuff it really is crazy when we were talking about watching selma and how after that we thought it's crazy that things are able to change when you think about actually going up against the system mm. i would say this movie filled me with that sense of like I don't know you don't change the system without kind of breaking the system and and yeah, things have to be a little haywire at and some point. it 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 I mean you can they even got into in the story Steve how like yeah. some of these guys as they get on in life you see that some of them are maybe like not such stable positive forces or maybe there's there's some hypocrisy there even the kind of leaders of the movement you could sort yeah. of side with one over the other in the end and Huey Newton in particular is a much more troubled person <laughs> did not know all that, that stuff no I didn't either uh, they straight out call him a maniac in this movie you know <laughs> wow. but um, he was such he was such a like I guess polarizing sort yeah. of figure he was really handsome mm-hmm. it really was really yeah. well spoken and super muscular and that stuff kind of like he was a force yeah he has that that had that like bruce lee body which is like rare <laughs> yeah. for that era yeah. you know, to have that level of definition yeah yeah it was it was really interesting seeing his decline and 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 i knew that he died in like a weird mm-hmm. non he just died of a drug overdose like he just started he got addicted to drugs and od'd or something that got shot mm-hmm like he he I'd heard that he overdosed a couple times. 
So I don't know. It's it's interesting to see how everybody kind of branched off at that point. And, and it did seem very timely. And uh, yeah. well, did you learn anything from the uh, Q and A that was particularly interesting? I'll say this as as nicely as I can. He wasn't as receptive to any of the questions as I thought he would be. Oh, really? Yeah, man. He was weird. Oh, that's weird. You know, I would say so I, strange, man. That we, sucks. He was re- he was a dick. If I could be like, if I could be, be super, blunt. Yeah. Stanley yeah. Nelson was. He was a dick. Like. They would ask him questions like, oh, okay, so here was a regular question. Hey, um, after the riots that happened, do you do you see you guys like showing this here post-riot? He's like, well, we're trying to screen it in Ferguson. And he, they, they were like, but the riots, he teaches in, at Morgan. Mm-hmm. He's He lives in Baltimore. Like, so what about Baltimore? And he just glossed over it and, and like, skipped to the next question. Like, in a really abrupt way. And and maybe he was, me, okay, he may have had a bad day. Mm -hmm. But it's a QA. and a If he was feeling bad, he should have just declined, which I would have been okay with if he was just like, you know. he he, This this was his third screening. I I would have understood, but I would rather him not have come at all than to be as weird and dismissive of the question it kind of changes your whole experience yeah like, i feel like even though i only went to one this year but in years past like the ability to have access to whether it's a producer right. director talent in the movie it elevates the whole experience especially if you respond to a movie like it sounds like you did yeah in mm-hmm. this situation yeah. yeah so if it goes the other way you know i can just only i know myself uh-huh. it would totally impact my takeaway not just from the experience of watching the movie but the experience of this like festival yeah thing. super ironic that you said that i saw a documentary that i didn't feel quite as strongly about the q a was amazing and it changed my perception of the movie right so so you know, related to the yeah. black panther thing right right before it i saw <clears throat> phil niggas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was basically about a block in new york where a guy f- filmed um this like a, a day in the life sort of thing he filmed it over like a year so what makes this documentary so interesting is there's footage and then the audio underneath it is not synced up with the the video that you're watching. So if you could imagine watching something in motion and hearing audio underneath it for an hour and some change mm-hmm. that was not synced up and, and often didn't have to do with what even the person was doing sometimes. So you'd see a female sometimes and it'd be male audio. It was a bit of a... It sounds kind of weird. It's hard. It's hard because your brain is like, Catch up, please. Mm-hmm. Sync up, please. But his Q and A, he kind of he kind of was super honest. He was like, "Man, I had a a shitty the the camera, the HD camera I had had a shitty mic. The audio was so bad that I decided to just put some of the audio underneath it and see what happens. And it turned out to be pretty powerful. And it was mm-hmm. before an hour and and a little bit. It was a little hard to kind of did, yeah yeah. Did you get into the groove of watching it, or did it? What did it kind of consistently pull you out of it? Well, after like the half an hour mark, and you realize that it's it's it is what it is, you start to go along with it. Cause he, I mean, this guy's like a five percenter, which is kind of a a offshoot of uh, Islam, sort of. It's like uh, these principles that are very similar to the Muslim faith, but not. Um, super positive. He had a lot of really nice words to say to these guys. Um, really raw, raw documentary. Um, it's hard to watch though. I mean, like, it, mm-hmm. I know, I know how my friends think about like anything outside of like a normal package of a, of a documentary. It's hard to kind of bear, especially if it's out of sync the way that it is. 
But, you know, it's, it's, I'd suggest it, but it's, I don't think you could ever watch it twice. Yeah. It's one of those things. So, but yeah, it's funny how Q&A, that Q&A was amazing. I felt closer to the movie because of that, because of that. That guy was so open. He answered a lot of questions really honestly. Yeah. Super open, super nice. And then I saw Black Panther, and this guy was like super cut off and very di- cold about things. Yeah, changed my whole perception of the movie. I'm trying to think if I saw any Q and As this year that were were oh, really I'm... were really overwhelmingly positive ex- additions to the movie. I mean, some of them were kind of memorable. I mean, I guess sometimes that's what you're hoping for with a Q and A is just that something kind of memorable yeah. happens. But um, I would say for each movie that I saw that had a Q and A, there was something different about the Q and A or. Or something about the movie that made the Q&A kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like you had something you were just about to get to, but I was going to mention yeah. Deep Web, uh, which, oh, yes. which we both saw in the yeah, Q&A. Yeah, he's always amazing. It was a great Q&A, but, yeah. but I don't know. Did, how did you feel about... We should say what... Excuse me. Uh, we should say what Deep Web is. It's the latest documentary from Alex Winter, who a couple of years ago, or was it last year? Was it it's last two, year? It was last year? That wasn't downloaded last year? I thought it was two years ago. But well, maybe you're right. No, last maybe year. Maybe you're right. Mm. Mm. Question, mm. question of the year. Did you see it at the Charles? Yes. Yeah, okay. we saw it at the Charles. So then it would have would have been. The, oh, oh yeah. So I guess yeah. it would have been two years. Ago. Damn. Wow. Right. Yeah. Shit. You you just lost a year, son. I just lost a year. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, uh, it's the follow up to Downloaded of a mm-hmm. sort because Downloaded was the story of kind of the Napster revolution and how that affected the way that right. the way that we consume music and culture even nowadays. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, and this was a much narrower in a way, but a much broad. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, how did you feel about Deep Web as compared to Downloaded? Oh, well, Downloaded is... And by the way, and we maybe say what Deep Web is, too, because I we didn't explain Okay, so it's about web the is. dark web and how uh, Silk Road, Yeah. The, this hidden... How much about that stuff did you know before seeing this? I knew a shit ton about it. Okay, see, but I knew I'm a little bit. I'm also super... I knew Silk Road. I knew those words. You know, I knew Silk Road. Yeah. I knew who... Uh, what's his name? Uh Albrecht, what's his name? Kurt Albrecht. Yeah. I, I, I knew the name. Yeah. I knew what Silk Road was. Silk Road was, which is made the news when they busted it, which was like a, basically a black market for anything. And it yeah. was sort of, you know, you could buy drugs on there. You could, you know, theoretically do other untoward things using that network. But what they, what they make a point of is that saying that, like, all it really is is this sort of open space that nobody is, is tracing or policing. The reason why I don't think it was quite as hard-hitting is that Nobody utilized the dark web the way that we utilize naps, the deep web. Well, the dark net is what it, the yeah. dark net, deep web. You just I, them up. Yeah, yeah. match them I like up. It. Dark net. Nobody uses it quite like. Are we, we calling it the dark web? The before? dark web. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds like a, a Spider-Man comic book or something. <laughs> the, the 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 new series. Dark web duck. Dark web. Um, the reason why I think that it wasn't quite as hard hitting is that it. Not as many people consumed it, and it wasn't it wasn't as revolutionary. Now, you know that the change from physical disc to digital and all that encompassed, I think a lot more people were involved in. Mm-hmm. And still, this as Silk Road and stuff like that is still in a place culturally where people still aren't consuming it quite as much as we did. Well, yeah, but. you have to spend you spend a certain amount of the time explaining what it is. Yeah. Whereas with Napster, most people don't need much explanation to understand right. what that is. I think you're right. I yeah. think that might be why it felt a little bit more heady 
And it was and, and, super and, and, heady. And it was interesting, but it did not have that kind of exhilarating quality. Yeah. That we I were, think Downloaded had. Downloaded, we were. Which was not like a perfect film, yeah, but it yeah. was about something really interesting that, like you said, that we can all we we all have a stake in yeah. that somehow. Yeah. The Deep Web is an important movie. Download it was an important movie that traced our lives in a lot of ways. Everybody. And this is like an, an ageless sort of thing. Like this is people that are now 60 to people that are now, you know, 30. It doesn't matter. Like we were all involved in the change of the medium. It didn't have the impact that Download it had on me. But it still had an impact. And it is going to affect things in a lot of ways the same way. Like I, I think there's something... That's going to come out of it. Just the way privacy and how we're monitored. And that's always been an issue. So, and, and things like drugs and body parts and mm-hmm. <laughs> things like uh, hits and things like that kind of being monitored. It's 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 kind of interesting. So, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you did. Didn't enjoy it as much as downloaded. And, and the, the Q&A, I mean, it was informative. but it, it, He didn't seem quite as excited right, about that movie as he it did. It didn't seem like, because no. like, I, I was not at the downloaded screening that you guys attended last time where everyone was talking about, oh my gosh, he gives the best Q&As, you know? Yeah. And he was good. It was informative, but I just didn't feel like he was connecting with the moment or the crowd quite as much as I was expecting. No, he so. didn't. Hmm. Hmm. This time. But it was, it's not like he did, he got some decent questions he, and he had good answers. Yeah, and it was cool to see him and uh, John Waters. It's always cool when John Waters is at the screening and then asks a question and you get to see the filmmaker. Yeah, uh, uh, talk to John Waters, uh, you know, back and forth about something. That's kind of a neat thing to be there for. Yeah, but it it just didn't. It felt like everyone was more like, hmm. Now I know more about this uh, this dark net. You know, <laughs> right. it wasn't like, oh wow, or, or I remember wasn't. how that affected me, or or whatever. It did. Yeah. It was less glitzy too. Like there were there was less like downloaded had a lot of uh, build up. Like there was like Dr. Dre saying fuck, you know, fuck people that download mm-hmm. songs. Like that was you know like all these rock stars kind of shit yeah. on. There was there was a lot more pageantry involved with that movie, and this didn't have it. It's pretty straightforward which sure it's kind of hard to stand behind and i I could tell that he was probably proud of his work Mm -hmm. this won't hit as hard as downloaded it it appears that he does have a a real interest in this kind of technology and how it intersects with entertainment and how it intersects with culture so it's like maybe this is just one of many kind of stories he's going to be into but it does you know the other thing is is it does seem like he even said that it only took him about two years to make it, and that is kind of a short turnaround for a documentary. Yeah. So maybe sometimes in the effort to be of the moment and be current with the information, you kind of sacrifice a little bit of that perspective. Because mm. downloaded, you know, looking back on Napster, you, we have a lot more perspective on what that was, and there's more years of development since and stuff going on. This is very fresh, but maybe by its necessity, it's going to be more like almost like a news story, more informational and yeah, less definitely. less of like a real strong narrative. But I mean I, I won't say that I didn't learn a little bit and I and I I did find the um I don't know, the the way it was put together it was really competent. I thought it was kinda interesting, kinda neat that Keanu Reeves is the is the narrator for it, you know, <laughs> that was kind of a nice touch. Yeah. But I I don't know if I would have recognized it as him if I didn't know it was him. He it was a very you you keep waiting for him to say, Whoa or something, but he doesn't. <laughs> it was a very affectless uh, uh, voice, which he often represented the voice of the, you know, the un, the anonymous people. Like he was the voice of Dread Pirate Roberts yeah. in the, when they would read his messages. So it was a, yeah, it was well put together, and I, I just was that's why I wanted to ask you is because I thought oh this was good, but it didn't 
it it was like I left going, hmm, that was good. Not yeah. like, oh man, you know, wanting to tell people about it. But. Closing night film was probably the best one that I saw. Crystal Moselle with mm-hmm. the uh, movie Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best Q and A that I saw. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, the story for you guys that don't know anything about Wolfpack, it's about a family. Um, I think I think it's like seven kids. And these kids never come out of the house. Um, at the most, they've said they've come out the house maybe nine times a year. And this, nine times a year? Nine times a year. Well, the trailer just came out today, and I watched it, and they said that usually it was like once a year. And yeah, and the most, at the very most, yeah. Never came out of their house. Yeah, apartment. never. They said nine was probably the most that they had ever come out sometimes. Oh, so gotcha. they had a, so the, this family wow. lived in this area in New York, and um, their father was from another country and the mom is american and uh they kind of moved into this area of new york and stayed in this apartment he they got homeschooled at the the dad's advice Mm -hmm. advising but he would bring in movies constantly so their perception of life and everything else was dictated by these movies. They got so obsessed with them that they would make these props and film scenes from the movie. By the way, their acting was incredible in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just seeing them reenact things. And it's about sort of the point where they've been in this house for some of them 17, 18 years. Wow. Yeah, and kind of what that does to them and how... There are there are some consequences mm-hmm. and and what happens after that point. The the director met them on the street. She said she saw like six or seven kids walking down the street in suits and and glasses, shades and like reservoir dogs. Like reservoir dogs and um made conversation with them. Nice. Thought they were really interesting and just started filming them for 4 years. She didn't know for the first like year or so their situation and then it kind of unfolded and then she started filming them. Most of the time, it's just her in the in the apartment. Uh, it was like two years before the dad actually started speaking to them. Um, and she didn't bring anybody in until like the third year. She actually brought people in to help film it. Mm-hmm. So she did the majority of the filming. Wow. It was incredible. Like It is one of those movies that just... The fact that they come out on the other end decent people is a very... It, it's a miracle, man. All they had was homeschooling mm. in movies. So they, they often quote the movies. They often like, sometimes when they're explaining things, it starts to sound like a, a monologue yeah. from a movie. It's really weird. So like, they'll say something like, man, I feel like, I felt like Bruce Wayne in Dark Knight when this happened. Yeah, That's like how... Everything they relate is like, to a scene in the movie. To a scene, everything. It's really interesting. Yeah, so it's, the fact that it's real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Dogtooth. Yeah, dog, it, dog. It feels like dog tooth. Um, That's what it kind of made me think of. Yeah, yeah. It's Anything like, like that where you have like the kind of closed off world, and you've got like you could like raise a child under any yeah. kind of weird circumstances and tell them anything, and they would believe that, or they yeah. would focus on that. You know, and, it's 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 really nice the way the movie unfolds, and the the way that it unfolds is so well done. There's a lot of like. You wonder a lot of things, and then it just kind of unfolds slowly, and then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, that's why that person does that. Okay, this makes a lot more sense. Then they talk to the dad, and they talk to the mom, uh, and then it kind of shit hits the fan after a while, and then you, you start to see how that affects everybody, too. Um, but yeah, 
beautiful movie. I, I would suggest it to anybody. It's coming out June 6th or 12th. So I suggest if you have an art house movie theater near you, see Wolfpack. the 12th is a Friday. so that Okay, yeah, so probably the 12th then. So that doesn't um, make sense. Yeah, Wolfpack. All right, Steve. We've talked enough about movies we saw at the festival. You can either talk about maybe the one movie you saw, or you can make an excuse for yourself. What 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 happened last? Well, night? the night that that happened, what happened was that night it was uh, Mother's Day. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, I was with my mom's, yeah, both mine and my fiance's. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what that was. That's for the Wolfpack. That's real. You know, mm-hmm. that's so you know that's what it was. Did you guys reenact any Quentin Tarantino films? No, oddly enough, it was no no Tarantino was present. Huh. You know, honestly, man, gen- in, in gen- like a. Gen- genuine and general <laughs> thought about this week that weekend it was probably the worst possible weekend for me to do anything right, this right. year like it's... you know it's just like and i can make every excuse but you know literally the one that i could go to was not on the weekend like right. i went with you on thursday night but uh, you know friend's birthday dinner party friday night mm-hmm. i was working my other gig on saturday into the night uh, you know, delivering flowers for some extra money. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. um, and then Mother's Day. So you know, I got I got nothing but those. You know what I mean? Like, I regret not being able to go see more. But you know what? I was gonna say earlier when we were talking about the different locations, real quick. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't like it. I don't like. I, I, don't, I don't like. like I don't like it not being at the Charles or at a a location or mm-hmm. a, a access to a, a hub. I get the whole like get around the city, see the city, you know, experience the city. That's really cool. But I think having experienced it so much before at a hub like a, like at the Charles, there's like that that is the experience in my mind that I look for at the well, festival. It, to me, that's typically a festival experience it anyway, is. where you right. go to a centralized location and you you right. like they close off the streets or whatever. Right, you so maybe yeah. branch out a couple blocks yeah. here and there. But like last year when we went, like we saw a couple really cool movies. But like my bigger takeaway from last year's festival was like I did not like. It being all over the place. Mm-hmm. And a part of me thinking like, I'll go check, maybe I can figure out a way to go check this one out, you know, on Saturday afternoon or, or Sunday afternoon or whatever it was. It was like, yeah, but then like, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to park real easily here. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so many things that I never used to worry about because I would just like, you know. You just get down there. You just and get down there. there and figure it out. And then yeah. I just, I, and then I was like, I was there the whole time. Yeah. You know, I just missed that. But Well, I, I, I kind of, I think I, if I hadn't been down there so much, I would have felt roughly this because that was my experience last year as well. Right. Yeah. And this year I was just down there enough that I did have a couple times where between screenings there was really nothing for me to do but kind of hang around. Where I did realize, oh, I can walk to here from here, or I would run into somebody and I would go, you know, have a have a bite with them or whatever. So I did feel a little bit more of that festival feeling. Right. But it still was, you know, not to me as preferable as that kind of experience of of the hub that you would it experience. It just feels so disconnected. Like, I feel like you walk out of, like, where we, like, the Brown Center at Micah. Like, you walk out, mm-hmm. and you're just in the middle of this big campus where, like, other things are happening, but not really having to do with the festival. Right. You know, so you don't feel, like, contained in something that's, like, I can walk out, and I'll see filmmakers, and I'll see tons of people that just got out of another screening, and they'll be talking about that. Right. I just love that. Like, they used to have the tent village across the street from the Charles. I used to just hang out in there, because mm-hmm. you would, like, see every filmmaker in there just hanging out. Right. Because, you know, they would shuttle them in, and they just hang out there all day but here it's different because like they're not going to hang out at like the walters or like wind up space they're going to go in for their screening and then they leave you know and where do they go it's just like i don't know that 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 went into my decision making i kind of regret a little bit of it but i don't know i really hope they get you know whatever if it's the uh what's it called the parkway yeah that or or something like you know that's only how many screens is that going to be is it just going to be one screen that's 
I think it's going to be more than one. Okay. But if you look at the video, it looked like it was just it looks like one. one. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah. I mean, the senator used to be just one, and now they have. Yeah. Like, they, they figure a way to work so, it out. But I kind of got around that, Steve. By the on the first day, I went down there and I went ahead and bought tickets to like six. I already had a you ticket like, to you get. Like yeah. You sold yourself. I in. made myself do it. I, did I, too. I, I think Four I would have then. pooped out. On one of those screenings, somewhere yeah. in there, if I didn't already have the ticket in my sure, hand, you sure. Know? But yeah. I think I, I, I even was thinking that at one point when I was like trying to rush to a screening. I had met some people from for drinks after a movie, and uh, yeah. and was like in a hurry to get to one. And it was, as it turns out, you know, not like like well, you guys don't drink, but you have a nice buzz. Your buzz just kind of wears off about halfway into a movie. <laughs> if it's kind of a depressing movie, yeah. you will be sitting there going like, I really, sh- as much as I'm glad I fulfilled this ticket I bought. I could be sitting back at the Owl Bar with some with some friends and and like that might have been a nicer vibe to roll forward with. Yeah. But um, I you know I've, I I had the same thought, Steve. And if I hadn't bought my tickets, I know I wouldn't have gone to as many. Right. If it, it had been a case, even though I do see now, I would have been able to get tickets at all of them at the door. I'm pretty sure. I don't think any Probably, of them were yeah. sold out. But it's um, so weird. That's so weird. Well, I mean, I don't again. I don't know if it. It's tough to know. Like I'm trying to think of the last time. You know, when we saw um, what was it last year? Uh, what was that? Was it called Ping Pong Summer? Was yeah. That, yeah. that was pretty crowded. That, was that screening was pretty was crowded. crowded. Yeah. And I had a sense of that being crowded. I don't, I don't think I had a sense of being in any other films uh, this weekend that were that crowded where you felt like you're in line, you get in, and you look around and there's no open seats. Um, well, uh, I will go ahead and mention another movie that I saw that I know that you saw. I don't mm-hmm. have a whole lot to say about Prophet's Prey, but it was an, it was an interesting documentary. Uh, wowzer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, jarring. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have been, I would have been perfectly like in the normal mood that I have with absurd documentaries mm-hmm. until they played that clip towards the end, and it made it a different documentary for me mm-hmm. with the twelve-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, well, I think they knew that that was kind of their <sighs> their ultimate thing without getting too much into what the what they actually reveal in the film, because someone might find this really interesting, and I think this may be. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this might be one that's got some distribution. Um, I look at the list here, though, and it looks like there's just they've got a lot yeah. Of, Showtime has it. A, a, it's a lot of fe- that's right. I even have a Showtime logo. Yeah, Showtime has it. Yeah. But it's right now the the furthest that their release dates go on IMDb is just through the Maryland Film Festival. But it is a documentary directed by Amy Berg and written by Amy Berg, which is about if you may remember the the polygamist Warren Jeffs, a leader in the fundamentalist church of latter-day saints which is you know one of the offshoots of mormonism that has maintained the practice of polygamy Mm. and like you know those are the folks living in the compounds that the show big love is kind of loosely based around um and i think it was yeah it was his trial was in 2007 and it was in 2006 that they put him on the FBI uh, 10 Most Wanted list, which is kind of what the movie centers on, is just how this, this uh, John Krakauer, this, um, this author who's written a couple of nonfiction books, and... Uh, Sam Brower. Uh, Sam Brower. So it's John Krakauer, the author, and Sam Brower, a detective who's been kind of following this Warren Jeffs guy for a while. And, and they just, they basically team up, and I'm not sure at what point they... they uh, fell in with uh, Amy Berg, the documentarian, but they seem to be kind of running an ongoing attempt to just gather all the information they can about this Warren Jeffs guy and and the practices of. I mean, if you look into these polygamist kind of cultish situations, what you end up with is a situation where people are being held against their will. It kind of followed up on you know seeing Going Clear, the Scientology documentary. It seemed to kind of have that same that same effect of giving you the inner workings of how one of these polygamist 
compounds would be run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this guy has a lot of people that are devoted to him. The women are treated sort of like cattle. And, you know, there's a lot of sneaking off to molest kids. And, I mean, just really unsettling stuff going on in, wow. the, in this guy's yes. life. And, I mean, and that's and they, the way they lay it out, you hear a lot of accounts and you see, you kind of see the 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 aftermath and you see some of the people that have managed to escape this group but you also see that a lot of people are willingly still part of that group and a lot of people even though warren jeffs has been in prison for a while now there's a lot of people that are still kind of helping him run his empire from within prison so you know when one of these when one of these you always think of the, the phrase charismatic cult leader is what they use to re- respond that, that's how you refer to someone who uses their force of personality to kind of rule over people like that. But Warren Jeffs is such a bland, boring little milk toast man. Like he does, <laughs> like Steve, every time they would, you know, there's a lot of audio of his sermons and you would expect, again, this a charismatic cult leader to be like, I don't know, fire and brimstone, yeah. at least kind of interesting. But every time they would cut to his audio, it would be like, you must lead yourself to the prophet. It was very strange. Wow. And, and, and it just yeah. is like, how could anyone be kind of Not, hypnotized by, by this that, guy yeah. at all? I, I really don't understand it, but, yeah. you know, this is where, the, in the news, the, what I remembered was the images of the women in the the, um, the pioneer dresses being kind of led out of the compound. And there were attempts uh, to rescue people, and they had to be sent back, and it, it took a while before they could actually charge him with something that would stick. But, like I said, the, his people are still kind of running his family, so to speak, from, from you know, wherever they are. and uh, has uh, more than 93 wives. Yeah. Wow. 93. I mean, it, he, he this, some of them as young as 12. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's hard to watch. I mean, it's really hard to watch, especially towards the end when they get into the details of the things that they used to prosecute them. Yeah. What a, what a creep. I mean, what, what, a, creep. A, what a loathsome human being. And the fact that he never wants to, when they've got him, he doesn't want to answer any questions. I mean, everything he answers is Fifth Amendment. They don't actually have any, like, interview with him, but you do see, like, like him being interviewed in prison, and he's, you know, he's obviously lawyered up and not saying anything. And he yeah. even kind of changes his story once he realizes he can he can change his story. Like, when they first get him, he kind of confesses to a few things that he then later goes back and says that was a... What is it like? The, a, the well, devil? maybe not spoil it too much, but he like but, but he goes back and forth with his people about yeah. whether he's really the prophet, you know, and, oh, and and right. Yeah, he said the devil got in him, and it's 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 so crazy. Yeah, but yeah, worth worth seeing. I, I mean, if you are very sensitive about, I mean, all of us are obviously sensitive about kids and stuff like that. But if you are hypersensitive, almost to the point of like. I know that I have a couple friends that might not be able to stomach that movie, mm-hmm. uh, the documentary. But if you're into polygamy, the, the idea of like getting deep. <laughs> if you're into polygamy. If you, if you want to get deep inside the world of. If you I have mean, big love on your DVR. I don't want to say deep inside. If you want to get into the world of polygamy, you know, just kind of learn about it. It's it's worth checking I mean, if you out. ever watch Deep Love, Deep Love, <laughs> Big Net, Dark Net with Love, <laughs> Big Love, love Dark net. Love. If you've Dark ever watched love. Bill Pullman's Love Net, no, if you've ever watched uh, 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 Bill Paxton on the show Big Love and wondered how true to life that, uh, that was on purpose, by the way, but uh, if, if, and you wonder how true to life that is or you know because we always have known or at least i've always known there's there's these polygamists out there people that are you know sort of like outcasts from the mormon church who have held on to that practice and you wondered like 
like I think Big Love would be the romanticized version yeah, of it. But even on that so. show, you have the people living on the compound, the people that are under the the tutelage of father, as they call him. And that felt very much like Big Love was taken in the same way that after seeing Going Clear, we all said, "Oh, the master." Yeah. Uh, things about that, I interpret them differently now that I know how closely it actually adhered. And I would say the same about Big Love from this that it really seemed like they were looking at the Jeffs family. We know yeah. those guys are out there though, yeah, right. but you don't really know how like evil you don't think mm. about necessarily how evil you have to be to maintain that it's not just a matter yeah. of having people that are a little closed off from modern life and they're 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 agreeing to this right. it's like they're there under a very much like within the scientology story you start to figure out that maybe some of these people are being held essentially and it's basically it's a form of kind of legal slavery of sorts yeah. or at least slavery that's not being treated as such and it's it's pretty pretty scary it is um it is. and it's it's especially scary with it's similar to uh, Scientology to see that notion of kind of losing someone you know to that or someone like you know the girl who who uh, managed to escape and she knew that her her mother would be going to this one uh, uh, nursery to buy plants or something and she went there to run into her and she yeah. was there with her son so that her mother would see her her grandson you know and and that the woman saw them and was very nice to them but basically said you know I have yeah. to go back you know yeah like she, I don't want to see you i'm yeah. not that's like she a, belongs to father essentially and not not to not to a, her own family so yeah prophets pray I, I i guess we don't know when but it looks like it'll be on showtime sometime based on the, the logo at the beginning uh, oh. the only problem i think we both had with that screening too was that the audio was awful in that room i saw other echo. screenings in that room that weren't as bad in in the in the room that that steve hates oh it was oh. the one with the high wall that i was telling you about yeah at the walters yeah, yeah. I was trying to describe that room to him. It was a, it was pretty spot on. Yeah, I tried. I saw it. I was like, oh, oh no. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> the high wall. Oh shit. Well, see, I saw it sitting down below. If mm. you sit down below, it's a little too high, but it's better. Yeah. Sitting up where we were, it was like sitting in someone's basement looking at a a yeah. decent sized television across yeah. the room, and the audio was not that great. I mean, that was a rare occasion where I wanted to say, could someone stop this and figure out what's going on? Because there was like an echo on everything. Luckily, it was a pretty short documentary, but um. Uh, you know, I worried that I had other I had other screenings in that room later in the weekend, and I so worried I. they were going to sound bad too. But they didn't. I saw Funny Bunny there. Oh, that's where I saw Uncle Kent too. So, Funny Bunny was worth seeing. It's it's really odd, a really odd movie. I met the director. She seemed really, really. Oh really man, cool. she's really nice. Her daughter introduced the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, really cool. Um, definitely check that out. I'm not gonna like look it up. Look it up. It's it it's hard to describe. It's really artsy mm -hmm. in a good way. Um. Yeah, Funny Bunny was a cool movie. Um, well, so you guys saw a movie that I did not see, I believe. Yes. Steve Arena, are you ready to... Oh, I finally get to talk about a yeah. movie. You get to take it, talk about it to me. So, it's the annual Joe Swanberg film. Oh, yeah. It feels like every year, you know? It's like the, the sure thing that I'll, I'll try to see. I feel like I've just accepted that I kind of like him. Yeah. More than kind of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, this mm -hmm. year, he was there with his new fi film called Digging for Fire. Mm -hmm. Um it's actually quite an amazing cast that he, I don't know, he's like kind of becoming more and more like he's got one foot in the indie world, one foot in the commercial like it crowd in yeah. Hollywood, you know. Um, Jake Johnson from New Girl, he's also coming up in this summer's Jurassic World. Uh, Rosemary DeWitt, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Sam Rockwell, Anna Kendrick, uh, Chris Messina, Mike Birbiglia. Uh <laughs> Small roles, Jenny Slate's in it. 
yeah. Uh, just like little, just tons of people, like awesome. You know, mm-hmm. people that just, you know, they have like a little niche community, which actually came up during the Q&A. It was kind of cool to hear about. But it's actually really cool because Jake Johnson and Joe Swanberg worked together on um, Drinking Buddies, which mm-hmm. we saw a couple years ago at the festival, and, and I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kind of decided, let's work it together again. And basically what, what Digging for Fire is about is a couple that basically gets access to a client's home for the week, week end or week. And uh, the husband basically finds a, a bone and a gun in the backyard in, in the side of a hill. And kind of goes on this like tunnel vision, like I got to figure out what's in the hill, you know, like what's what else could be there, you know what I mean? And there are a couple that you could tell have some like you know life stresses. They have a young son in the film played by Joe Swanberg's actual son, um, mm-hmm. who was also in last year's Happy Christmas. But um, the wife kind of goes off on her own little thing to get away for the night to have her own little like mom night out with a friend, and grandparents are watching the kid, and and Jake invites. You know, some friends over, and they there's basically this whole divergence of the mom out finding herself in this evening, and the mm-hmm. dad kind of sort of trying to find something else. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's physically something in a hillside or some sort of sanity of his own, like searching for what he doesn't know he might want or not want. It's really cool. I, I actually thought the movie was really good, and the more Ron and I talked about it afterwards, uh, we were just kind of breaking down some stuff outside of the Micah Center. I really, I really liked some of the metaphors it was kind of showing um, in, in when they separate from one another. Hmm. Like how there's this notion of like, we're always kind of looking for something mm-hmm. more in life. Yeah. And you find it sometimes and you don't others, but even when you find it sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's not something you ever really needed or wanted or wondered why I needed it, but it was probably good that I went through that. Yeah. You know, I went through those motions to try to figure something out. In, in, in his case, what's under the ground. And in her case, like, feeling alive at all really like she you know meets somebody you know orlando's bloom orlando bloom's character out and about in in the town and kind of has a little date sort of with him but it's more of just that like ignition of something in your body you know Mm -hmm. like some sort of fire which is the digging for fire but um I don't know. I, I really like the movie a lot the more i think about it and i've actually been watching a ton of like interviews with it because it's really intrigued to me Partially his style of filmmaking, which is always kind of what some people have criticized him for, mm-hmm. but talking about it in the Q and A and reading and watching more stuff after the screening, literally this this Jake Johnson's character story in the movie happened to him in real life. Mm-hmm. Like when he lived in a house with his wife, like years ago, he had that same thing where he found a bone and a gun. That's how they came. Like they when they decided let's work together again, mm-hmm. he basically said, you know, I have this crazy thing that happened to me. This could be a movie, and they went with it. And he, you know, Swanberg's not a guy that works off much of a script. He said he had like an eight-page outline or something like that, <laughs> yeah. and the rest of it's kind of just let's just kind of feel what it feels like inside those boundaries. But it was really cool to hear that because like it's fucking crazy, you know. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. and to think about that kind of. Uh, thing happening to you, I would totally be that person that's like, you obviously have to dig yeah. and find what else is there. And as they're digging and, and they find these things that make it even more intriguing, like you can't stop now. Right. And 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 a lot of it was parallel to what actually happened in him in real life. Like the scene when he calls the cops and they like, we don't, we're not responsible for digging up a, a body for you. Like that happened <laughs> to him in real life, you know, like, so it was really cool to actually find that out after the fact, both through the Q and A and through watching some interviews with them. But, I really, I really like where Joe Swanberg has kind of been trying to, to go the last couple of years. Like he's been like this 
indie mumblecore guy that's always been hanging around. I think I forget how many festivals he's been at. It's a record they said. I think they said it was ten. It was a shit ton, or, or yeah. ten or eleven. Definitely in the double digits. He he has like the record for most appearances at the festival. They were that was his whole big intro that they did. And um, when you look back on it, I mean, to see how he's changed and kind of grown as a filmmaker, not only in who he has access to, but in in what he's trying. Like you know, mm-hmm. I really like some of the things he's trying out. I'm very curious to see, like, over the last few years, we've seen some of these, like, indie film directors kind of get their foot into the commercial game and mm-hmm. be given, like, in some cases, big properties, you know, whether it's a franchise property or just, like, a big feature film. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm interested to see if he ever did, would ever do that. Like, you know, I, I, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I would argue, based on what I found out, through another screening that he was at, mm-hmm. um, that I don't think he ever would. I mean, I don't know. But based, I, I, I saw based, the same in an interview that I watched mm-hmm. after based the on what he was saying because he also he's one of the co-directors of probably my favorite film that I saw at the festival this year, Uncle oh, wow. Kent too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which is a code is like Joe Swanberg is co-directing it with Todd Rohall, who is mm-hmm. who's much more of a kind of underground filmmaker. Just look up Todd Rohall. He's made some really really interesting movies. But Uncle Kent too is a sequel to a film Uncle Kent, which Joe Swan made about and with Kent Osborne yeah. uh, about five years ago, I think. And yeah, that was very much in the spirit of one of those early Swanberg kind of mumblecore. I mean, I and I kept wanting... I, I sp- got to speak with the filmmakers after the movie, and I, I didn't know whether mumblecore was like a slur or not for the kind of <laughs> movies he makes. But when I say mumblecore, I mean... I mean, there's good ones and there's bad yeah, ones. Yeah, sure, sure. Just like any kind of film. Oh, there's good action films, bad action films. To me, mumblecore means... I would say Mumblecore extends to include maybe aspects of something like Francis Ha. Like Francis Ha yes. is a polished Mumblecore film. Yeah, yeah. Whereas While We're Young doesn't feel Mumblecore. While We're Young feels more, you know what I mean? But like Noah Baumbach yeah. is another director that makes these kind of uncomfortable movies that sometimes feel like they spring forth from actors uh, and the director kind of collaborating on a, the idea right. of a character rather than a script where everything is nailed down. Um, and... Uh, I guess maybe I'm saying that about Greta Gerwig too, because she has a oh, yeah, history in those films. Yeah. So she brings a little bit of that quality. It's all very and, and the Duplass brothers too coming from that realm, and they're also legitimized in terms of you know different things they've been on the HBO series and being in high profile movies, and yeah. even something like the one I love, a movie I love from last year, oh, so has uh, mumblecore trappings, but wrapped up in a much more polished yeah. kind of bow. Yeah. But what do we mean now when we say mumblecore? We just mean kind of mundane scenes that are allowed to play out like real life scenes and mm. it doesn't mean something strange isn't happening in the movie right um and in fact again another movie you're next has a lot of these players in it you know a lot of the people that are in these movies there's a lot of that kind of indie stepping into genre and indie stepping into something with a little more production value yeah and whereas uncle kent was very much the let's walk into a guy's place and set the camera down and you know, you're going to watch him smoke pot and you're going to watch him flip through dirty pictures on his computer and you're going <laughs> to watch him change the sheets on his bed and all that kind of stuff. And yet Kent Osborne, the guy who's the star of that, who I full disclosure is a, is a friend of mine is um, a guy who writes for adventure time and used to write for SpongeBob wow. and is a really funny guy. So it's mumblecore, but with a funny persona in it, you don't mind hanging out with kind of a funny, silly weirdo uh, and in that story, the first Uncle Kent, it's very much a slice of life movie about a guy. And I don't know how autobiographical it was, but it seems very much like Kent allowed Joe Swanberg to come into his house and and film him. And they b- would build scenes maybe around things Kent was actually doing. And 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 it's all about how he meets a girl on um, Chat Roulette in this film, you know, which Chat Roulette was a thing five years ago. Um, that he meets a girl on Chat Roulette, and she comes to visit. 
and then it he's trying to get into her pants and she's not that interested in him, but she is interested in maybe having a threesome. And it's just mm. a weird, it's a, it's a weekend out of the life of a guy who is trying to maybe make some, a connection, but doesn't, isn't really looking for a relationship. And at, you know, you see the story of the weekend and you kind of see in the tradition of that kind of film, it's sort of like life goes on as normal, but you see this little experience that happened on this weekend. And it's really kind of a sweet film and there's kind of a sadness to it. And there was some very real moments where the 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 girl's lack of sexual interest in him, but she still wants to be really friendly and kind of huggy and stuff. But he's now reached that point where he's wanting to be kind of mad because she doesn't want to have sex. Right. But, you know, that moment where you act a little too eh, with somebody and then yeah. they get hurt and then you have to... Eh, there's a little bit of that. And it's like, I, if, I don't know if I would have liked Uncle Kent that movie as well had I not known Kent. But I think it did carry me through. So this, the concept of a sequel to a movie like that is just bizarre. You don't see <laughs> mumblecore movies with a, with a number at the end of them usually. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that was part of the premise of it. And I would say, the reason I mentioned that, Steve, what I said when you mentioned that about Swanberg branching into maybe franchise films is because he explicitly said when they were introducing this movie that he hates sequels and hates franchises, right. and hates the idea of his son growing up in a world where all the movies at the multiplex are reboots, remakes, yeah. sequels. Mm. Now, again, I see that, and I'm like, you know, I see that. I hear that. But it's not quite true, because there are still movies like Uncle Kent 2, and there's still movies like Digging for Fire. There, there's tons of great cinema that's out there. Yeah. I think now more than ever, there's lots of great movies we can get access to. But it is funny to picture that idea of culture. You know, we've, we've talked about remakes. We've talked about reboots. So the whole premise of Uncle Kent 2 is that Kent Osborne is trying to convince Joe Swanberg to make a sequel to Uncle Kent, and Joe Swanberg doesn't want to do it. Mm. Joe Swanberg is in the movie playing himself, saying, I don't, want to, I don't want to make a sequel. And then he says, I'd let you do it, though. I give you my blessing. You can go off and make a sequel. It's your story, so you can make Uncle Kent 2, but I'm not going to direct it. At that moment, the movie switches to being directed by... Todd yeah. Rohal. So from that wow. moment on, the direction and the style, it's not mumblecore. It's one of Todd Rohal's messed up movies where anything can happen. And it goes into, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's a very silly, but also <laughs> very funny, very weird. I mean, it feels very much like a combination of th things I shot because Kent uh, was going to uh, Comic-Con to be on a panel about Adventure Time. And so they filmed a lot of footage of him at Comic-Con around the things he was doing but they have to make it look like he's you know he's his fictional version of himself is not a writer for Adventure Time he's a writer for another animated thing so they had to shoot certain things that were fictional but a lot of it was just following him around yeah. Comic-Con while he's having this kind of out of body experience it was very strange i don't know where you would see a film like this except at a film festival but it's the kind of movie that i could totally see gaining a kind of cult following because a you don't normally get sequels to indie films that just doesn't happen and b the way the movie changes from one type of movie to another there's one scene that starts off slice of life uh and i would almost want to describe it because you guys would laugh if i describe what happens but it starts off where he's doing something so slice of life like fixing something to eat and what happens in that shot gets to such a silly place where you literally see it change from a mumblecore movie into something else <laughs> in that one scene and then from that moment on it's a movie where you get like the dreamlike qualities you get like animation laid in with video you get there's like blips in reality like he's worried about the singularity and so you have moments where somebody will talk and they get like a like a video distortion like if you've got video that's encoded wrong you know little moments like that that are occurring they're really using every trick in the book uh for making again kind of a, almost like a sci-fi twilight zoney type story and to say much more would just be ruining the fun of discovering it so i would say not only was uncle kent 2 the the most fun i had at the movies at this festival but 
um, the Q&A where it really seemed like there was a tug of war between the two directors and it really seemed like Joe Swanberg was up there saying, Ugh, I, if I would do another movie with you any day, Kent, but I wouldn't want to call it an <laughs> Uncle Kent movie. Yeah. And they, almost, oh, they almost undersold it to the point where mm. after the movie, I felt like saying, wait, you guys are acting like this is such a weird... Like, who's going to care about this movie? Yeah. And maybe it's true. It is a real niche item, but it's it, it's funnier and more relatable than I think they, they the filmmakers themselves seem to realize. And there was even a woman in the back row, like on the balcony, who was like yelling, this film, Baltimore's going to make this film a cult classic. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> we had one of those types of screenings. Um, and uh, also, Bobcat Goldthwait came in and was at that screening. And wow. I got, to, I got to, it was cool having a reason to speak to him after the movie, because he was waiting to talk to the directors. I happen to know the star, so I got to have a great moment where I was like talking to Bobcat Goldthwait because it was like, oh, what'd you think? And he was like, oh, it was great. And then he was like, I want to go talk to these people. And I, right at that moment, my buddy Kent was like, John, hey, everybody, this is my friend John. So it was kind of like, <laughs> it's always great. It, that's a great entree. The, yeah. the next best thing to having a film at the festival is having someone who's a star Hell of the yeah. film, like introducing you to people. Because then you, no one's questioning why you're hanging around. And yeah. like, you know, normally if you were lurking around the directors of a film, you would feel sort of creepy. Yeah. But I felt like I had every right to be standing there talking to <laughs> Joe Swanberg and Bobcat Goldthwait about, about this strange film. And also just their movies and and yeah joe swanberg seems like such a he doesn't seem to fuck around that yeah guy. that that's a, a, a vibe i get from not not that he doesn't he connects not that but you not get a sense that there's something though. kind of impervious to him like yeah. he's there to do a thing and he's there to have a good time but he doesn't seem like it seems like he's i mean just because we know he's super prolific it seems like he's already thinking about his next five movies or something like yeah. that, you know, but it, it, I, I thought his Q and a was awesome. Me too. Like, There's something it. super inspirational about what he's doing. I, I, I think that like, well, well the, I'm he, sorry, good. He yeah. has the potential in a lot of ways. I mean, once people stumble upon his work in the mainstream to be like, I mean, I, I, say what you will about Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow is doing it his way. Mm hmm. And I right, think that right. I think that that's what's going to happen. I think you, he's going to get what you're saying, but it's going to be his way, I, like I, Judd Apatow. Right. Like that's it's going to be like, like I, I, that would be very yeah, cool. And I don't doubt like, that he might make big movies yeah. that aren't franchise films. Sure, aren't. And and I don't mean just. And franchises. I know you weren't saying I mean, that. I mean just the work in that system. Yeah. I'm just saying it's I so funny he, that you because I would be yeah. thinking the same thing too. Like is yeah. that where he's headed when you look at guys like uh, yeah. like uh, Colin Trevorrow and people like that? You know exactly. That's exactly who I referenced when we um, talked after the screening. Yeah. But it's like yeah, he, for him it must be something kind of different. The other thing I want to say about again just as long as we're kind of uh, slobbing on on Swanberg's knob. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, I w went around with some friends. We went to go see a screening after Uncle Kent. We had a few drinks. We ended up at Joe Squared, like, where a lot of film festival yeah. folks were, were partying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, closed out the place. You know, people were dancing and everything. They were playing some good music. And Joe, I mean, it's like Joe Swanberg was dancing. I mean, like, I was, you know, I was kind of hanging there. And I guess I was kind of hanging with people that were hanging with Joe Swanberg. And he was hanging with me whether he knew it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, Lucky guy. But, I mean, the guy was like, you know, sweating his ass off on the dance floor like wow. summoning people to the dance floor and stuff like that you know and and i mean again just and i even said to my buddy ken it's like swanberg doesn't mess around and he's like no no he does not you know like he's he's productive he's prolific he's like a bull in a china shop kind of guy like he's, yeah. he's gonna do his thing and i'm kind of like you steve my desire my love for like really entertaining movies and movies that reach out and meet you more than halfway yeah. sometimes puts me at a disadvantage with stuff like mumblecore stuff where i'm like ah oh, that just doesn't sound like a movie i want to spend time watching yeah. and then when i but when you see it develop and you see over time it's not just a guy sitting up sitting down a camera cuz some of those movies can be kind of visually 
like uninspired or yeah. they can be kind of drab or they can go on and on. You can go like, this feels very improv. But if you look at what you're building with that, you know, 10, 15 years into your career, if you continue doing that kind of thing, you've built up this, like you were mentioning, like a, a group of actors that will work with you, yeah. a sense of let's go play, let's see what happens, a, a real possibility of discovery in the process of making movies, which is, as much as I love big popcorn movies, it's the literal opposite of sure. one of these pre-sold, pre-scheduled, uh, we have a release date before we have a movie type of things. You know? yeah. So you have to, I mean, if you're a fan of cinema, you have to sort of tip your hat to a guy like that. I just, I just like that he kind of has a whole different sandbox to play in. That, mm-hmm. That's what he was re- talking about in the Q&A. And watching some of the videos I watched afterwards from other festivals that they've been at, like with the film. You know, and hearing people like Sam Rockwell and Orlando Bloom and Rosemary DeWitt, who do bigger movies, even, you know, even Jake Johnson, you know, whatever. Like, when they talk about the production of this movie and listening to them talk about their experience with this movie, it's like... It's cool to hear stars of that level in, in, in that world talk about it like they're really excited about it. You know what yeah, I mean? To yeah. me, I have no perspective on it, but yeah, I just I listen you. to what they say. You know, but, you know, talking, you hear like Rosemary DeWitt and, and Sam Rockwell talking about it, knowing that they're also shooting like poltergeist together. Right. You know, it's like there's two opposite worlds, you know, and, and they can play in both worlds, but they'll talk about what you just said. Like, you know, he's. He's more relaxed, you know. It's just I, I like that. I just like thinking about that, and 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 I'd I'd love to be able to watch a movie be made like that, to be mm-hmm. honest. And um, he's just so open about it. I, yeah. And some Q and As, I mean, most of them they're pretty open, but like he wants to talk about. It. Like we were, I talked to him afterwards. One of my favorite things about the movie was the score, mm-hmm. um, which immediately reminded me of like the Tangerine Dream score from like Risky Business. Yeah. Like that, it's got that like eighty synth like kind of moody dark like sexy i don't even know mm-hmm. how to describe it but that's what that's what i wanted to talk to him about afterwards and, and the guy that did the score uh dan romer who did the beast of southern wild oh wow and and he's done um he's doing that carrie fukunaga because i like the score movie that a lot. that's coming out mm-hmm. i don't know but it was just fun like he was just like oh yeah let me tell you about that mm-hmm. like and he was just telling me about like how he how he how he contacted him and what this guy does and, and pop bands that this guy's producing like i just like that he knows so much about everything that's involved with that movie. And you would think that most directors do, and I'm sure they all do. Right. But I don't think that any of them like wear it on their sleeve to be like, let me tell you about something that I didn't do for this movie. Yeah. You know, we talk about the guy that made the score who also produced like pop bands that you probably have heard of. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know. It's like it's like different kinds of perspective that I loved. And that's the example, the only example for unfortunately for this year, like I referenced earlier, <laughs> yeah. to say like having a QA, having access to filmmakers, yeah. like it changes my experience with it the does. movie. He's strikes okay so there's there's two types of stars two types of rock stars there's the rock star that stays on the stage yeah and there's the one that stage dives and slaps hands and you know what i mean and he i don't think he ever wants to get away from that and it strikes i I don't know i I think this well no i mean that's exactly what the the what i witnessed at joe squared was the equivalent of a stage dive yeah sure i mean just being there until they told him to leave kind of thing and then but not like not like feeling like he was super vulnerable and super open he definitely was like there was a there was a there was something to it you know like and i I don't know and it sounds like you spoke to him and know what i'm talking about he was just very direct very wasn't like you would almost think a guy like that would be kind of a douche and i hate to say that but i think that maybe sometimes you see someone like that from the outside who just won't stop working and your impression is, oh, they would have to be, like, hard to deal with or something like yeah. that. But, no, it seems yeah. like he gets done what he's going to get done by by doing what he wants and by building a group of people that want to 
to do that, that kind of th- thing. That's the key is like they want to do it within how I'm doing it. You don't even he, say he's like a charismatic cult leader. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> somebody said um what the Q&A like somebody's like how in the world did you get Orlando Bloom? And he mm-hmm. was like He's like he's like you're, you've got me. You know, he's, he he was like just as surprised at yeah, it as yeah. like a person going to see that movie would be, mm-hmm. because he basically was like, well, we cast Rosemary DeWitt, and her agent was like, hey, why don't you like talk to Orlando about this? And he's like, whoa, like Legolas, <laughs> you mean like the dude from Lord of the Rings? Right. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's open to that kind of stuff, and 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 Joe Swanberg was like, you know, well, does he know that we don't have trailers or like craft services or like <laughs> all this shit? He's like, no, man, he's just ready to hang out and just make you know a little indie film. And he was like saying that like Orlando Bloom was like awesome, and he just like showed up, and the motorcycle in the film that he drives is like his own motorcycle. He like mm-hmm. brought it so they wouldn't have to rent him a bike and stuff yeah. like that. So it's I don't know. That's like the fanboy in me. I think just realizing that like some of these stars kind of like are are still cool with like just playing. Like you fucking make movies for a living. Like yeah, just yeah, go yeah. play. Yeah. And like and and Joe Swammer to me and all these movies that I've seen him host at the film festival. He just to me it sounds like when he makes a movie that they're just they're just playing mm-hmm, like they're yeah. having fun. He talked about a movie that they shot in Georgia because I, I actually I asked movie. during the Q and A like what the release schedule was for this and what he had coming up. And this is coming out in August from the studio called The Orchard. It's going to be like a limited run with video on demand, same mm-hmm. day and date. But he shot a movie like yeah. he's with uh, with Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza, Plaza like yeah. in Georgia, like some really small like low budget movie that's going to come out next year. I don't know if maybe it'll be at the festival next year. But, um, and just listening to him describe anything is just like, it sounds like they just hung out and had a good time. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it never stops working. So yeah. there's always yeah, a he's, chance he's that like he's going to. He's like three or four things going on at any given time. And any one of them could be that thing that you were talking about. That's what about. I'm so interested in. It's like, it seems like each one is like a little notch closer, like Drinking Buddies and like even Happy Christmas. Like, even if you just look at who he's being, who he's got involved in his movies, mm-hmm. you know, like. I don't know. I, I, I'm a fan. Like I, I really, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really cool, really interesting. I, I'm, I've become even bigger a fan of his, and uh, I'm excited to see how he, you know, what he, what he keeps doing. He's just down for whatever. Yeah, and I love well, that. Well, he's got a couple filmmaker. of great, uh, you know, even on the acting tip, he's got a couple of really funny moments in the the part of Uncle Kent too yeah. that he's in. Like they're just the relationship, and again playing. Saying on stage to introduce the movie or talking about the movie, that's basically what his character says in the movie, which is, I hate sequels. But, like, <laughs> that that does seem like that. I mean, I could believe that that would be a divining principle for someone like that to say that they're just going to try to make unique things, things that only they would make. But, yeah, what is that going to mean when one day he wants to make something and he's got a, a tighter script or something with a little more of a concept to it? Yeah. Would, wouldn't it be awesome to see all these people... That he's built up as people that love to work with him, like you said, uh, digging for fire. You don't see yeah. there, there aren't a lot of films that are stocked to the gills with that many recognizable faces in them totally. at all. Let right, alone right. this kind of little indie film. Absolutely. So yeah. So, yeah. No, it's definitely. I, I I thought it was great. I bet actors like I I I bet that's the kind of situation that an actor likes to go into where they know that I there might assume, be some. Yeah. They, they have a chance to have an impact on the content. You know. So. Yeah. Can I rattle off two movies yeah, that I saw? Yeah, really, I have um, two to rattle off as well. Uh, Breaking a Monster. Uh, oh, the, the band, right? Yeah, I got. Okay. I got, actually. Got, I saw the short version of what became this movie. Yeah, it's, last year was it? Did you like it? Or it was in, in very general? enjoyable. I okay. mean, for a couple reasons, I introduced the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, that's yeah. the experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so I was because people out that are listening to this right now are the ultimate people that know that you have velvet pipe, Ronald. <laughs> okay, so no so one's surprised at this. Waiting for the screening to start, and um, one of the guys, uh, Eric Cotton. Uh, that was kind of 
functioning within the festival. Intro- he heard gonna- you at the next urinal saying, introducing my <laughs> cock. Uh, that would be so great if that was how he found out. Like, about, this guy's better. It sounds like he's good at introducing things. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we were uh, kind of on the side in, in the wind-up space, and I was trying to get some water. And he's like, hey, how are you doing? I love that shirt. I had a shirt with flowers all over it. And I said, thank you. And he went, whoa. It was really weird. And he's like, you have a great voice. He's like, what are you doing right now? Do you want to introduce a movie? I'm like, oh, so like something coming up. He's like, no, this one. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He, he asked me to practice it. And I was like, I'm, I, I sound really dead right now. He's like, you don't sound very like into it. What do you do? And I was like, I do stand up. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, why do you not sound? <laughs> I was like, because it, it's weird to do that stuff off stage. I'll be mm-hmm. fine. Just give me the information. Mm-hmm. And I did, I, I okay, so I, I'm not trying to brag, but I I went to 18 screenings, and mm-hmm. I did not have a crowd react. I did not see a crowd react the way they did in my screening when I introduced it. It was, it was, it was fun, man. It was really fun. I asked how everybody was doing. Um, oh, then that, that's gold. That's, that's good it. stuff. Right? That's all you got to do. <laughs> that's the kind of thing you only learn after several years of yeah, hitting the clubs. It. But it was a really cool documentary, man. Uh, unlock, it sounded really interesting. Unlocking the Truth. Yeah, is the name of the band. Uh, three, sm- three Big people might remember them. They made the news when they got they were like signed or whatever. Yeah. It was like sort of one of those weird. They got signed and then you didn't hear anything from them. But... Yeah, two point four million dollars for a five album contract, yeah. which sounds a little shitty, but uh, it's about all of that stuff kind of unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, their manager uh, managed the Jonas Brothers in the yeah. first couple years of their <laughs> career. He talks about it constantly. Of course. Uh, he ever shuts up about he that? He also, like some other Disney acts. I don't think I would either. Yeah, right. To be honest with you. Yeah. Lovato, what's her name, man? Demi, Demi Dem- Lovato. Yeah. So he, he also don't managed. Act like you don't know her name, Ron. I, I really don't know I'm much kidding. about her. <laughs> She's beautiful from what I see, but it's it's kind of about that, that situation, seeing how he's trying to help them, but they have no single, really. Mm-hmm. They just do a bunch of like instrument instrumental sort of situation right. so it's about the first song that they try to put out they need a single so they're making a single mm-hmm. kind of on the go uh this kid malcolm that's the leader they're trying to make him into something and he's being you know a 13 year old kid trying to yeah manage it he knows that he's he knows his worth but he's also very afraid to write music because he's never really done it in this capacity and sharing this, this stuff with the world so it's interesting to see it mm-hmm. i'd recommend it and then uh people places things the uh the romantic comedy with jermaine clement and, oh yeah yeah uh, dc's own regina hall oh, uh i love her yeah love she's her. beautiful man in this movie so it's about a novelist and cartoonist that uh, is a teacher that uh, is just getting through a divorce. He just gets divorced like maybe a year prior and uh, kind of managing being a part-time parent, a teacher, and being single. And he he, he meets um, Regina Hall's Oh, I'll take it back. I, I thought I meant Regina King. So. Oh, okay. Regina King. I love her too. Regina yeah. Hall I love Damn as well. It. When Both- I saw the name uh, Regina Hall... I thought it was Regina King too. Yeah, <laughs> the, from, from Regina Southland. Hall. Yeah, that's what I. That's pictured. why I was like, I love her. Regina Hall from uh, Scary, Scary Movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, but she's great in this movie. Okay. And, okay. Uh, <coughs> her. You're saying this even better than her work in Scary Movie? Way better. Oh wow! So, I don't believe it. So the uh, he's teaching uh, Diane's daughter, Regina Hall's character, and uh, 
the daughter suggests that they go on a date and it goes awful. Mm-hmm. Goes awfully, but they they kind of have some chemistry that you can see, and it kind of is a a battle between this guy that's gotten divorced, separating from his old life, and get rid of sort of the feelings that he had about the situation, and and possibly getting into a new situation with a a beautiful smart woman that is very sure about what she wants. Mm-hmm. So kind of seeing that cool. that movie unfold, it's 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 so funny from beginning to end. Jermaine Clement, come on, man. No, I love him. Flight of the Concords. And what Regina Hall. What we do in the shadows as well. So, yes, you know. what we do in the shadows. And then um, Regina Hall, obviously some comedic background there, but seeing her in something where she's, she has some depth to her. Right. It's really cool to see. So I'd suggest that to anybody. I'm not sure about the release of it. They literally have like five second clips online of the movie, which is super fucking frustrating because I can't show anybody a trailer yeah. for it. Um, but yeah, it's hopefully it'll be re- released within the next couple months. Cool. So, what uh, else would you see, John? Other two films that I saw that I did want to mention when I was talking before about uh, Bobcat Goldthwait being at the festival, he was there right. with a documentary about comedian Barry Crimmins called mm. "Call Me Lucky." Um, it's a movie. I don't know how. Actually, I I didn't know anything about it before I went to go see it. I just knew that it was a Bobcat Goldthwait movie. Uh, so I don't know if people are seeing trailers or reading up and if, how much those those materials are giving away about this film. But I did not know much about Barry Crimmins' life and his kind of tragic story that comes out in the film really hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I did think the movie, I, once it hits that depressing material, it kind of stays there. So it is a very intense movie. I wonder if... Maybe for a late screening on a Saturday at a film festival, I was hoping for something. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm saying it was me, not the movie. I may have been hoping for something a little bit more yeah. exhilarating to kind of take me out of the day, especially with my history with Bobcat Goldthwait's movies, which is that they they're always interesting. There's always something of 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 interest with them, and definitely right. within this, the kind of dark subject matter is what makes it feel like a really appropriate subject matter for Bobcat mm. Goldthwait, who who does seem to uh, seek out those types of of things. And I would even say seeing a lot of documentaries at this festival this year, this movie had a production value to it. Sure. Not that that's a mark of a good movie, but it really was a well put together uh, documentary which I would just say just contrasted it with some of the other other things I saw over the weekend. But yeah, I mean, I think anyone who sees it would would possibly recognize Barry Crimmins from any of his appearances on television that have been probably replayed a bunch from like the 70s into the 80s and he had a couple of bits like there's a joke that I always remember of his from back when I was a kid watching stand-up which is um that somebody got caught trying to smuggle books into Kentucky but he was in luck because nobody there could prove they were books you know that kind of thing (laughs) and he's that type of if you know who Bill Hicks is yeah. That type of edgy comic who seems like he's experiencing something real on stage. Like Barry Crimmins would sometimes plan to uh, go into something really personal on stage. Or he, in fact, famously went into his his tragic story at one point um, and shocked a lot of his peers at the time. Mm. But his story as a comedian is definitely one of those comedians' comedians who's... He was he was responsible for kind of running a room that a lot of people came through, and whereas he never became a household name, there's a lot of household names that remember if you played this club, you had to be you had to kind of get past Barry, you know, and and um, that he was like a, a privately warm but kind of publicly kind of grumpy guy, and just a really interesting character. When you find out his personal tragedy, it really is 
interesting, but I cannot say that it was a very fun movie to watch. Oh, and wow. when you've heard about someone's tragic story, the fact that Barry Crimmins was there for the Q&A with Bobcat Goldthwait, it was nice, but it wasn't that kind of exuberant Q&A. It was more of a, oh my gosh, kind of a hushed crowd that was asking these questions about some kind of serious stuff. And Barry Crimmins, being a kind of a servant guy, did what he could to kind of inject some levity into that. But it is a, it's a serious, it's a movie that leaves you feeling very serious. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think Bobcat Goldthwait probably wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, it doesn't seem like... But you think, okay, Bobcat Goldthwait directed it. It's about a comedian. You're expecting maybe to laugh a lot. But yeah. instead, it was much more of a... of a, of, uh, Yeah. Remember how you felt kind of bad? Remember after seeing Who Took Johnny? Yeah. That you spent just for a couple of days, you felt kind of icky? Yeah. This movie has a little bit of that. And I would say even the way Prophets Prey made you feel about some oh, of the no. stuff that goes on. Like, the, a little bit of that, you know? Um, but a very... A, a really good movie... Uh, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, it's hard to recommend a movie that's about something kind of depressing. But if you're into that idea of of seeing a funny person, you mentioned that movie, Misery Loves Comedy, the Kevin Pollack movie, that's about, like, do comedians have to suffer to be funny? Yeah. Well, this movie approaches it from a very specific point of view to say, what is this particular person's comedy? Where does it come from? And, it, you know, it, it, it does kind of address that idea of, like, how suffering can feed into your into your comedy. So that was good. And then I saw another documentary, um, like I said, very doc-heavy weekend for me, but Welcome to Leith, mm. which was uh, a movie about a small town in, I believe it's North Dakota, where there's only like 20 people living in the town, and then this white supremacist moves to town. And because there's only 20 people there, <laughs> he really can cause a ripple to go through the town, and he's encouraging other white supremacists to buy property all around oh. there. And there's, kind of, and there's kind of a suggestion that they're going to try to kind of take over the town. I mean, like, you know, we, we, we do follow the mayor of the town, Leith, um, and uh, which is, you know, the, the, the titles of the movie, Welcome to Leith, is just a picture of the little wooden sign that says Welcome to Leith on the outskirts of town. It's a really <laughs> neat movie. Um, it, it was also one that was kind of well shot. And having seen a lot of documentaries that don't give a lot of credence to that idea of the form they take, this one was, was pretty nicely put together. There were some, some, some artfully put together images in it. You know, it, it tells a sort of incomplete story in a lot of ways, but you get a sense that they went, they figured out what the story was. They knew they could get some interviews with some people. Some things happened while they were filming that fed into the story. They found some footage, they put it together. It's not a movie that tries to tell the entire history of the white supremacy movement or anything like that. And it doesn't even go into depth about all the different people in the town. But you do get a sense of these different characters. Right. And you get a sense of these people, even these people in these really closed-off environments who um, don't experience a lot of culture. Like, there's one black guy that lives in the town. And his experience Wowza. with the one white supremacist that's moved to town is really kind of funny. And there's a point where the white supremacist is on, um, I don't know what show it is, it's some daytime talk show, and they do a, like a DNA test, and they find out that he's... You know, 86% European descent, but like 14% uh, African American. And everyone's just going crazy. And the guy's like in denial. I mean, like the way the guy approaches it is like, oh, well, that test was, this show clearly doctored those results because they were trying to make me look foolish or whatever. But when they cut back to the one black guy in the town about that news, he's just beside himself laughing. <laughs> you know? But I mean, it's a really, it's it's an interesting movie. It's a, uh, it's, it. I, I don't know. It's kind of a small movie that focuses on a very small series of events, and you do get a sense, as you do with many of these films, about the mental state, the way you kind of did with Warren Jeffs. At the end of this movie, this guy Craig Cobb, the white supremacist that moves to town, you get a sense of where some of his oddness comes from and why this person would do such a strange, seemingly just 
negative thing. And the guy, you know, it, it, it it's it you don't get much of a chance to get to know him, but you do follow him just a little bit, and you get to see the people in the town. And it was kind of refreshing to see that even in this backwoods area where there's 20 people and and only one of them is black, and they live in a town where there's literally no businesses, you know, mm. um, and it's about 90 minutes away from the next decent sized city. That even in those areas they would be horrified to think of someone closed-minded coming into their midst and kind of messing right. up what they had. That was kind of moving in a strange kind of way, that everyone in the town was so against this white supremacist moving in. Um, but welcome to Leith. Uh, I would... I, let me look and see if... It, you know what? My internet's acting funny, but um, I don't know. It, it seemed like one that I could easily see getting snapped up. I don't remember if I read or heard something about it getting distribution, but I would imagine that most of these movies that we're talking about are especially these documentaries, those things usually surface on Netflix or, or through right. some cable outlet or something like that. So just as a quick recap, welcome to Leith, uh, Call Me Lucky, Uncle Kent 2, Black Panthers, The Vanguard of the Revolution, Prophets Prey, and Deep Web. And you also saw... A shit ton of stuff. Uh, right. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> Anything you didn't mention? No, I think I mentioned... Let's see. Anything of worth? Um, Breaking a Monster, People, Places, Things, Black Panthers, Field Niggas, uh, Wolf Pack, Prophets Prey, Two Shots Fired, very, very odd movie, avoided at all costs. <laughs> um, hmm, Six Years, I really enjoyed that movie. I really have to use the bathroom, I'm so sorry. Well, I think this is a fine time oh, to, oh God. To, to wrap I'm up so episode sorry. 133. So <laughs> it's all right. Oh, oh, God. I think we just lost Ronald, Steve. I think we can close it out for yeah. him. He's closing it out yeah. himself in the bathroom right now. <laughs> Finishing up some business. So, I mean, I, I guess next year, I don't know. I hope they have it in one spot. Maybe it'll encourage me to more, or maybe I just won't be busy that weekend. I'm sorry that I let you down, John. Well, I figured out all the different ways that the different parts of Baltimore are connected on foot this weekend. So next year, I could give you like a, a foot map. You yeah, know? yeah. I finally I, cracked the I'll, code. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's give people a little preview. Next week on the show, we're doing something we've actually kind of teased for a while, but we now we have a name for it. Finally making it happen. Uh, it's uh, it's the first in our You Were Warned film series. Uh, and if, if you'll remember, we added You Were Warned to our three-tier rating system, which is go ahead if a movie is one we think you should go see. Wait for it if it's one you should wait for on home video or on demand. And hold up if it's one we don't think you should see. And then when we were talking about some film, I don't remember which one it was, we, we introduced the idea of a new category called You Were Warned. Right. Which is like, you might want to see this movie because it's such an odd film, right. but it's not really a recommendation. Yeah. And I think The Counselor is a fine... Which you've mentioned before. I've, I, which I remember last year when I... Early last year when I first saw it, I was sort of sad that no one else had seen it. Right. Because there is some stuff to talk about in this movie. Oh, there is. So we're going to go kind of stem to stern with The Counselor next week on Movie Movie. We're going to talk about what went wrong, what went right, what happened. How, how could a cast director, screenwriter like this make such a strange and singular film? And is it a success or not? And why should you care? <laughs> <laughs> We have to wait for that because that's the next episode. Yes, no, but I mean now people have a week to, yeah, to yeah. watch the council. Yeah, um, that'll be fun because yeah. that is an interesting film. <laughs> now that I've finally seen it, I'm ex I'm anxious to talk. Well, about can you it. see why I was wanting someone Absolutely. else to watch it? Okay. Oh, good. oh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that'll be the next episode. Um, that'll bring 133 to an end. Movie the Facebook page. If you have any movies you think we should talk about or movies that we need to see that maybe we didn't mention, uh, let us know. And uh, otherwise, we'll, got, we'll check in with you guys on episode 134. Talk a little bit about The Counselor. But as always, thanks for listening, and you've made our day. <laughs> thanks, John. Ronald, you all right in there? I'm dying. <laughs>
I think he got to that situation where his bladder was so full. You know how sometimes yeah. it's so full you've got no pressure. I you think it's more than just a bladder. Yeah, maybe there's yeah. That's <laughs> he's uh peeing out of his butt right now. Probably probably a good time to turn off the microphone. <laughs> <laughs>